0: Good Chad, testing, 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 is it coming? Is it there? This microphone will be fine, but it's going to crawl across my face while I preach, and uh, just get used to that, and pray that I can. Uh, God bless you. Welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. It's been a crazy morning already for us, but uh, but thank you for being a part of worship in the overflow in Perry, Oklahoma at Franklin Campus. We love you so much, and we encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're in the middle now of a sermon series entitled Grace, God's Riches at Christ's Expense, Grace. We've been talking about grace as, as really one of the essential attributes of God. God from all eternity, God from the very beginning has been and is a God of grace. And from the very beginning, God uh, began uh, putting in place his plan of salvation to bring us back, all of us sinners, to bring us back into fellowship with him through grace and, and, and by grace alone. This is where we jump in this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. We're in the New Testament now, looking at how grace impacts our lives. It's a very important passage. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 together. You'll notice in this passage that there is a very strong before and after, a very strong before and after working in this text. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians to the Christians at Ephesus, that's why let's call it Ephesians. He's writing to believers, and so Paul is assuming that everybody who would read this in the original audience, everybody who would read it when he was writing it, is assuming that they would be Christians. And so he speaks of their life before they became Christians, and then he speaks about their life as Christians. And it's sort of important for you to understand how the the passage works in that way, because in order to understand it correctly as we read it, you've got to know which side of that you're on. You've got to understand that. If you are a believer, then when Paul says, once you were dead, but now you're made alive in Christ, then you can understand that. He's talking about your life before Christ, and you don't ever want to go back, and he's talking about what Christ has done for you through grace alone and only grace. So understand that. If you're a believer, you're on the after side of grace. But if you're in this house today or at another campus or in the sound of my voice then you need to search your heart. You might be a person who's never really experienced God's grace in that way. You might say you've never been saved. You might just say that you've never really uh, been very drawn into the whole Jesus thing. However you want to say it, you're not a person who identifies with with Christ. So you've got to understand when we read this passage, you're still on the before side. You're still on the side of of before grace comes and and changes the, the, the very inside of you. So let's read together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You've got to ask yourself whether you're on the before or the after part of this. But I want you to pay close attention to what the scripture says about salvation and grace. Ephesians chapter 2, 10 verses. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Take your seats. An elderly man from the United States recently caused quite a chaos at the International Airport in Frankfurt, Germany. He was an elderly man from the South, a man you've probably known other men like him all of your life, perhaps. He's just that guy. He had never really been out of his own state, uh, never really traveled anywhere, and he was traveling uh, internationally, uh, and he was going through Frankfurt, Germany, with his son. Thing is, he left the United States in in the giant airplane. He flew all the way across the ocean, a long flight. Uh, He uh, deplaned with the other passengers in Frankfurt, And once you're there in Frankfurt, Germany, I'm told after you get off the plane and you're going to go through customs, they sort of send you in two lines. And one of those lines has a big sign that says Nationals. Nationals. Who's that for? Germans, yeah. Y'all haven't been anywhere either, have you? Germans, yeah, nationals means if, if you're German, if you're German coming into Frankfurt, Germany, you're going to get through customs a whole lot quicker. So there's a separate line for nationals, and then there's a big sign and another line, which is the longest line, which says foreigners. Okay, there was this utterly man from the United States, from the South, and he got off the plane in Frankfurt, Germany, and he'd never been anywhere, and they told him to go get in the line that said foreigners. And he nearly shut the place down. That man got so angry and he was stomping his feet saying, I ain't no foreigner, I ain't no foreigner, I ain't no foreigner. Papa, you're in Germany. You understand? He's in Germany. Now, in his mind, he's not a foreigner. And actually, in every place he's ever been, he wasn't a foreigner. But what he couldn't understand was in every other place in the world to every other person on the planet, that man's as foreign as they come. Understand? It's a matter of perspective. And he simply had never ever seen himself from the perspective of being a foreigner Cause an international incident. Understand? It's the same kind of perspective, a kind of a shock of perspective that you might find when you start reading Ephesians chapter 2, especially if you're one of those people who's never really identified with the Christian faith or never really identified in any way with Christ. For whatever reason, I'm just saying that when you read the scripture here or you're listening to me read it, there might be something shocking about what the Bible says about you as a person who's not a Christian because it doesn't just say that you're a sinner and you need to be saved which you do but honestly what it says is you're dead it's worse than you thought you're dead understand dead y'all remember the movie the sixth sense when that creepy little kid said what I see dead people yeah this is what Paul says when Paul looks out at the whole world of people when Paul looks at most everybody alive he sees dead people That's very interesting because if you're outside of Christ, again, if you've never really put faith in Christ, if you just really don't get the whole Christian thing, then understand something very important from from God's perspective, from the Bible's perspective, you're dead, dead. Now, I know probably what you're thinking, because honestly, that sounds so extreme. That sounds like something religious people would say to scare you into making some sort of decision. And honestly, that, that's not the point at all. To, to call you dead is really to say the truest thing we can possibly say about you. We know this because, as the Bible says, we're all, we all come from that place. We've all been dead. That, that's what Paul's saying. That even if you're a believer, you understand it, and you should relate to this. We've all been dead, and if you've never really come to Christ, then then honestly, you're still dead. You're dead. And you're asking, how can I be dead? I mean, wouldn't I know if, if, if I'm dead? And, and please, just, just listen to what I'm saying. Obviously, we're not talking about physical death. Obviously, your heart is beating and your pulse is, is going. Obviously, your lungs are going in and out with air. We know that. We're talking about your spiritual side. We're talking about something deep in, inside of you. Can you understand what the Bible says, what God is saying about you? Because it's very, very important for you to understand that in the very deepest part of you, there is something dead there. It's like you were born with this switch deep in your heart, and it's never, ever been switched on. Does that make sense? There's a dead place inside of you. This is why when you're in a room with religious people or Christian people, sometimes you just sort of get a little bit creeped out because it's almost like they're they're in a different world. It's as if they're they're so different; they seem so odd to you. People who talk about God as if they feel His presence and hear His voice—that is something that you just don't get. But because honestly, that part of you that would respond in God's presence, that that part of you that could hear His voice. This is what we're saying. That's the dead part. That's the dead part of you. How many of you have a a smartphone that does Wi-Fi? You know what I'm talking about? Any of you? Am I just totally redneck congregation? You have smartphones, I know, and they have Wi-Fi. I think Wi-Fi is one of the most amazing things ever. My phone has Wi-Fi, although I don't really always know what to do with that, but I'm pretty excited about it. My phone has Wi-Fi, so if I walk in Mancino's, which I do five times a day, if I walk in Mancino's, Mancino's has Wi-Fi. It's that invisible radio signal somehow that lets me get on the internet if I want to with my phone. So if I walk in Mancino's, understand, the first time I walk in, my phone doesn't register that there's Wi-Fi because I have to connect it first. And so I go up to the the Mancino's folks and say, do you have Wi-Fi? What's the password? I put in the password, and I do that one time. I put in the password one time. And then from that point on, every time I walk in Mancino's, my phone just wakes up. It just wakes up in Wi Fi land, you understand? It's the most amazing thing because I can't see that, I can't hear that, but somehow my phone responds to that invisible signal every time. And this is what we're talking about. There is something in your heart that is created to respond to God's presence, there's something inside of you that honestly is wired to wake up in the presence of God. But that part of you is dead. That part of you is dead. Like a switch that you were born with that's just never been turned on. We're talking about that part of you. It still sounds extreme and you're probably asking, how would I know? Wouldn't there be signs that that I'm dead like that? Wouldn't I know that? I think you do. I think you know. I think you know that something's not right. I think you know, or, or at least I think you've got clues. It might be the way when you pray, it seems like nobody's listening. I think that's a sign. It might be the way that you feel when you have to be quiet and just be alone with yourself. That that panicky feeling you get when there's not enough noise to drown out your thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? There've been moments maybe when when it's like something in you started to come alive. There have probably been moments, maybe it was in church or, or maybe it was in, in a conversation with somebody who, who, who knew who knew God or maybe it was with nature. So there's probably some place where, where at times something in you has kind of fluttered to life. There are moments when you have maybe felt that there was more, that, that you were part of something larger. Maybe moments when you felt like maybe that was God. That's what I'm talking about. There have been moments when you have been drawn toward him, but... But for the most part, that's not the way your life goes. You don't feel him. You just don't. And I'm saying that's a a sign. That's what what I'm talking about. It's it's that empty feeling you have sometimes when you lay in bed next to uh, the newest person that you've been physical with, it's that kind of lonely feeling you have after sex with a stranger. You understand what I'm saying? It's that, it's the way you just can't get over yourself. The way you're always somehow doing things because of yourself, either because you can't stand yourself or because you love yourself too much. It's just that way you can't get past yourself. That, that, that's a sign because you're not created just for yourself. It's, it's the way that you can't trust people to understand it that's a sign the way you can't trust people the way you can't forgive people the way that you need a drink or or a pill just to get going in the day it might be the, the kind of panicky feeling you get when you get in the lunch line at school and you see the table with your friends filling up and you're so afraid of being left out, that, that horrible, horrible, desperate feeling you have to need other people, and yet you always feel like you can't connect. It's, it's a sign. The way you fantasize about kind of running off and escaping your whole life, That's a sign, the the way you and your spouse can never connect, the way you and your children somehow are always, always at at odds. It's it's a sign. You you know these things, you feel these things, you you know that there's something wrong. And and from the Bible's perspective, it, it just says that there's that dead part of you inside the deepest part like a switch that's just never been turned on there's there's this dead part of you and you are created to to honestly come alive in God's presence but you don't do that because you're dead there now the Bible actually goes further than that it's not just that you're spiritually dead it's not only that Notice what it says here in verses 1, 2, 3, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Now again, Paul's talking to Christians. The rest of the world, he says, they're obeying the devil, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the universe. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God and all of us used to live that way. Notice what Paul says, that everybody in the world, everybody in the world knows what it is to to be a slave. We all know what it is not to be free because honestly, before Christ, that's just our lives. Now, Now again, it's hard to be aware of it because everybody you know lives that way. That's what Paul says. This is unfortunately It's it's normal, although it's not what God intended. It's just the normal way that the world goes. It's like the world is this enormous, horrible neighborhood where the devil owns and runs everything. Did you understand? And he owns and runs you and everybody else. That's what the scripture says. But but he's really like a, the devil's like a bill collector. He's like a bill collector in that he would love to take everything you have, but honestly, he'll also just take what you give him. He'll he'll take what he can get. See, this is the slippery part. When you hear the scriptures say that that, that you're not free, that you're a slave to the devil, you're thinking, that's crazy. I'm not a Satanist. I don't even think I believe in the devil. You really don't buy that, but understand how evil works. Understand how evil works in you. The devil would love to, to ruin you. He'd take everything, but he'll take what he can get. He, he would love to make you hate everybody, but he will be just as happy if he can just get you to hate one person. Did you understand? Just put that hatred in your heart. One person, he'll settle for that. He doesn't have to make you some sort of, some sort of cold-blooded killer. He is honestly just as happy if he can just get you in your mind to wish somebody was dead. Have You done that? He's just as happy with that. Doesn't have to make you some sort of armed robber. You don't have to put a pantyhose on your head and go turn over Citizens National Bank. Do you understand? He'd probably like to see you do that. I'd like to see you with a pantyhose on your head, actually. I think that would be pretty good. He'd love to see you, but he's not necessarily trying to make you an armed robber. He's just as happy if you'll cheat on your taxes or maybe if you'll steal your roommate's polo shirt. you understand? It's how evil works. He'd take it all, but he'll also take what he can get. He'd probably love to make you some sort of juvenile delinquent, some sort of teenage thug. But honestly, he's just as happy if you'll just have no respect for your teachers or your parents. He's just as happy with that. Do you see the subtleness of evil? Because it's subtle. It's subtle. That's how people all over the place can honestly think of themselves as good people and at the very same time be absolutely powerless, not free, slaves of the devil. It's what the Scripture says. It's what the Bible says about all of us. It's what the Bible says about you. Now, I am talking about grace, and I'm talking about the love of God, but you've got to understand something. Verse 3, by our very nature... We were subject to God's anger, His anger. You're saying, Brother Tim, right there. That that's what makes my head want to explode in the Bible because you talk about grace and church people talk about grace, but there's always anger. Somehow, God is always when you pull the curtain back, He is not gracious. He is just angry. He's angry. And that's why church people seem kind of angry and everybody seems kind of angry and I really don't need that kind of condemnation. I know, I understand that. I understand that you don't like to think of a God who's angry. But but let's go back. Let's go back to, to, to something like 9-11. Or let's go back to, to some moment when you're watching the news and, and you see something horrible that's happened. You hear about the you hear about the horrible abuse of a child or the starvation of, of, of the poor in Somalia. You hear of these things, and sometimes you get so angry yourself and you say, Why doesn't God do something? If there's a God out there, why in the world doesn't he do something about the evil in the world? Why doesn't he? stop the sexual abuse? Why doesn't he stop the starvation? Why doesn't God do something? This is what I'm telling you. God is going to do something. This is what the whole message of the Bible is about. God is going to make right everything that's wrong in the world. He is going to do something about evil once and for all. He is going to make sure that the evildoers get the punishment that they deserve. He is going to do that. But this is what you've got to stop and understand. You keep wishing that that would happen. You keep daring God to come and take care of evil. But what you don't understand is that you're going to be on the wrong side of that. If God were to come right now and start taking care of everything wrong with the world, don't you understand? You're going to be on the wrong side of that. You're thinking of yourself as somehow a bystander. Somehow you are outside all of the sin and suffering of the world, but you're not outside of it. Don't you understand? You are right in the middle of it, dead, just like the rest of the world, a slave to sin, just like the rest of the world. And you are subject to God's anger, not because he doesn't love you. Do you understand? It's not because God doesn't love you. God loves the world so much so much but that is exactly why he is fiercely fiercely opposed to sin fiercely opposed to the to the death and destruction in the world he's fiercely opposed he is going to come and he's going to once and for all take care of everything that is evil and that destroys but everything that is evil and destroys everything that has to do with sin and death do you understand The people that God loves, people like you and me, we're all wrapped up in that. We're intertwined in that. That's God's dilemma, you understand, to destroy the sin that he hates while somehow still saving the people that he loves. So so understand, you're under God's wrath. It's not because he doesn't love you, but it's because you're a sinner. Just like everybody else, you're a sinner. Verse 4, take out your Bibles. If you put it away, shame on you. Pull it back out. You need to see this verse. You need to understand this verse. Verse 4, but God, (laughs) understand, but God. We've been talking about you, and now we're talking about God. But God is so rich in, say the word, Mercy. God is so rich in mercy. Now, grace and mercy, grace and mercy are sisters, understand? They're very, very similar, but they're also different. You could say that grace is is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is being loved before you're lovable. Grace is being accepted before you are acceptable. Grace is getting the offer of exactly what you need, but you could never, ever win, earn, or deserve. Do you understand? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is similar, but also it's the opposite. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. You understand? Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. So notice what it says. God, who is so rich in, say the word, mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So understand, God has this plan of salvation, and it's been the same plan since the very beginning. It's not as if God tried at first with the Ten Commandments, but then we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. So God has now gone to plan B, and that's grace. You understand, the Ten Commandments were never the plan of salvation. was never the plan of salvation. God's plan to save us has always been by his grace. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God does for us what we do not deserve. God looks down at us, the world of people that he loves, but a world of people that are dead to him. Dead because of sin. And God does an amazing thing. God Himself becomes flesh and comes down. God Himself becomes flesh and comes down and dies on the cross. He dies. It was Jesus we're talking about. He dies. And in dying, he who had known no sin, he who honestly, God himself, he he dies, and in his death, he conquers death for the whole world. You understand? He conquers death. He completely cancels the power of sin and death over us. And that is why, because of his death, we can be brought to life. That switch down inside of you that's never been turned on, because of what Christ has done for you, that switch can be turned on. Do you understand? You can come alive. That part of you that's never, ever been awakened, it can become awakened because of what Christ has done. And it's by his grace. Notice what the scripture says. Paul has to interrupt himself in the middle of this to make sure you get this, the last part of verse 5. It is... Only by God's grace that you have been saved. Only by grace. Now, now the Greek word there that, that we translate for only, that Greek word means only. Understand? It is only by grace that you've been saved. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And honestly, there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. God does this for you because remember, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. It doesn't matter what good things you do. Do you understand? You're spiritually dead. There's nothing you can do but let him raise you to life. It is only by grace that you can be saved. Now, if you're one of those people who for years has heard the message of salvation and always resisted it because of church people, I'm on your side. And right here is where we can begin to understand part of what's gone wrong through the years. What goes wrong is even those of us who talk a lot about grace, we honestly don't do grace very well. We don't really trust grace. Every now and then, somebody will say, Brother Tim, I want to take you to lunch on Tuesday. I'll say, that would be great. Where do you want to go? Mancino's. We'll go to Mancino's, and we'll meet for lunch. And I know the guy said, I'll buy your lunch, and that would be grace, He's gonna buy me what what I don't deserve, and it seems it's gonna do me a favor. I know he said I'll buy it, but there's something about me. Even if you tell me I'll buy your lunch, I still carry money. I'm still gonna carry money because there's just something about that gamble of grace. I don't wanna stand in Mancino's and thinking you're gonna pay, and then have you not pay, and I'm gonna stand and eat crackers off the salt and pepper table, and you understand? There's something about me I have a really hard time believing that in the end I'm still not gonna owe something. I I, I carry my money. I'm just so afraid that I misunderstood what you said, or so afraid that you'll you'll forget your promise. I just don't don't trust grace well, and, and you don't either. That's why we add to it. That's why we add to it. And that's why a whole lot of people in the world are confused about salvation because they hear the gospel of grace and then they start seeing the things that get added to grace. It is only by grace that you're saved, the Bible says. And only means only. This is part of what Paul had to struggle with in his day because there are a whole bunch of Christians who still believe that, that you got saved by grace plus you had to keep the Jewish law. See, grace plus law. And Paul spends most of his ministry saying, no, no, it's not grace plus law, it's only grace has nothing to do with what you do, remember you're dead. Nothing to do with what you do. Man, it would be wonderful if somehow Paul won that argument for for good, but people never stop adding to grace. Sometimes in churches just like ours, we can't stop adding to grace. Do you understand? The offer of salvation for you is by grace alone. God's gonna save you by his grace. It is not grace plus walking down this aisle. Do you understand? We make people think that getting saved is about walking an aisle. I don't see walk the aisle in what Paul says in the scripture. It's nothing to do with walking an aisle. Not a thing to do with walking an aisle. It is not grace plus shaking the preacher's hand. I have nothing to do with your salvation. I can't add to it. I can't save you. I can't make your prayer more magical. I have nothing to do with it. Walking the aisle has nothing to do with it. Oh, my goodness, the way we've made salvation sound through the years. People say, I don't believe I can get saved because I've been divorced. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Honestly, that's the message that many churches have preached, that somehow you got to clean yourself up before you come to Christ. I sat in Washington, D.C. with a woman who was in tears because she wanted desperately to come to Christ, but she said, I can't be saved. I'm a lesbian. Excuse me? Is there a separate gospel for homosexuals? Is there a different way for them to be saved other than by grace? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's not a separate gospel for people who have sins that we really, really don't like. We don't get to add to the gospel. It's not grace plus you can't have any tattoos or any ugly piercings. It is not grace plus you have to sing the songs that I like. It's not grace plus anything. It's grace alone. It is grace alone. Now we prefer grace plus plans, honestly, because that puts us back in control. We like to see the to-do list for salvation. We like to see what we can check off, and then honestly, we really, really like to use that list to measure other people. We like to be able to say who's in and who's out, but we don't get to say. We have nothing to do with the salvation of the world. That's Christ's job, and he saves by grace. Only grace, it is by grace alone that you have been saved, Paul says. Just grace. There's nothing you can do. Old man walked into a Baptist church for the first time, just walked in. At the end of the service, he came down the aisle, took the preacher's hand, said, I want to join this church. Honestly, as a pastor, I sometimes am, I love when people join the church, but 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 you can't join the church if you're not a Christian. And so I always have to ask, tell me when you became a believer. And the pastor did the same thing. Again, it's not that walking down the aisle or joining the church saves a person. The pastor needs to know that the man is already saved. And so he says, sir, are you a Christian? The man said, yes, I became a Christian years ago. The man said, well, well tell me. How did you become a Christian? How did you get saved? Again, just trying to find out if if the man honestly uh, is a Christian. Old man said, well, I did my part and Jesus did his part. I did my part, Jesus did his part. Pastor got a little nervous. He said, well, sir, could you explain, talk a little bit more about that with me? Your part and Jesus' part. Old man said, I did the sinning and Jesus did the saving. Okay, okay, you understand the only part you play is that you're the sinner that needs saving. It's you with the dead heart, not a thing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to wake up that part of you. You can meditate, you can go on a vegetarian diet, you can travel to to Tibet, you can watch Oprah reruns till Jesus comes. You will not wake up the dead part in you. You can't do it. You can come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You can just keep on coming, baby, and you can sit in those pews and you can listen to the choir singing. I'm telling you, it's not going to wake up that dead part in you. Coming to church won't do it. It's not grace plus coming to church. You understand? This is just what Jesus does. That's nothing to do with you. You're not going to earn it. You're never going to deserve it. All you can do is let it happen. I guess it's like being offered a a heart transplant. It's like you're a a nearly dead lady, a nearly dead man, and you're on the table and you need this new heart, and all of a sudden you are offered the heart transplant free of charge. Free of charge. Insurance miracle. It's free of charge. Understand? It's a new heart offered free of charge. It's going to save your life. But you still have to accept the heart. And you still have to let the surgeon cut. You understand? It's an entire gift of grace. But you still have to to say yes to it. You have to desire it. Honestly, I don't know how you would say no. If for salvation, Christ asked you to do something really hard, if he did ask you to come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life, or if he did ask you to do something amazing, I think some of you would probably do that. But the fact is, the offer of salvation means there's just nothing required of you. You have no part to play in this other than simply to to be saved. To let him save you. Let him speak to that dead place down in your heart. Watch it come to life. It is only by grace that you can be saved. And that can happen right now. You do not have to walk this aisle. You do not have to kneel at this altar. You do not have to join this church or fill out a card. You don't have to go home and clean up your life first and then come back. Do you understand? All you have to do is say yes. I don't know why you would say anything but yes. Pray with me. God, I know I'm talking to church people. But being a church person isn't what makes you alive in Christ. Lord, there are people in church every Sunday that that have never been made alive, that they're still spiritually dead, Lord, because they they will not listen to grace. And Lord, those who will not listen to grace, they're never going to hear your voice. There are people in this room today, Lord, who would probably get saved if it could cost them a lot of money or if there's something big that they could do to earn it, if there was something to do, a course to enroll in, or perhaps something very, very difficult to accomplish, some place to travel to, Lord. There are people who would crawl across the floor on broken glass if they were asked to, Lord, but simply to say yes to grace for some reason stops so many of us in our tracks. We don't know how to do the math. When it comes down to grace. Lord, the math is simple. We are nothing. You are everything. We are dead. You give us life. Lord Jesus, I pray for dead hearts. I pray, Lord, for the person listening to my voice who knows that something's not right. They know that something is dead inside of them, and they've never known what that was until now. Oh, Lord Jesus, by your grace, I pray that you'll begin to bring to life every dead heart. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken, Lord, every numb, every bored, every lazy, every passive heart. Make them alive in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're ready to save. You're gracious to save. You are so full of mercy. Lord Jesus, I pray. That those in this house, those in the sound of my voice, those, Lord, who have never identified themselves with Christ would in this very moment simply let their heart turn toward you and say yes. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the name of grace. Amen.